This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know what you are, Cat. You're a hell maiden. But it has to be our secret. That's how I can protect you. Protect me from what? Your demons. Whoa! I'm having a vision! <laughs> a green-headed girl. She seems so real. Greetings. We are the magician mortician, the artiste of the afterlife. So, as your masters, we order you to turn around and, uh. <sighs> You're tripping. All right. Cat demons are raising an army of the dead. Ding dong. Gotcha. My demons, my problem. Reports of my death were greatly exaggerated. (laughs) I don't do friends. Bad things happen to people I'm close to. They die. I told them, I told them, I told them! This fall and just in time for Halloween, Netflix is releasing director Henry Selleck's next stop-motion movie, Wendell and Wild. The director of movies including The Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline also wrote the screenplay with Jordan Peele. The movie follows a pair of scheming demon brothers, Wendell and Wild, voiced by Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, who enlist the teen Cat Elliot, voiced by Lyric Ross, to summon them to the land of the living. The voice cast is also led by Angela Bassett as Cat's teacher, Sister Helly, Bing Rames as Wendell and Wilde's father and Lord of the Underworld, and James Hong as Father Best's headmaster at Cat School. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporters Behind the Screen. Henry Selleck, congratulations and thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here. So, Henry, in a recent interview you did when you were speaking at Annecy, you said, and I quote, I believe animation isn't a genre unto itself, but a way to tell stories. For me, stop motion is the most magical way to tell stories. This is a format that you used for Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, Coraline and now Wendell and Wild. Would you elaborate on that comment? Well, I just, um, you know, I like all types of filmmaking, 
animation a little bit more and then stop motion more than the other types of animation. It's just a personal preference. Um, I like the uh, sense of direct touch to the artist that you get. Uh, I actually like the little flaws and mistakes that are unavoidable and uh, have really made an effort to leave those in in my latest work. It's sort of proof of how the uh, technique is, is, is used. And as far as the magic part, um, it's the uh, stop motion is the oldest type of animation, um, well more than 100 years old. And um, I think it sort of like goes back to a, a kind of alchemy of, um, you know, just um, fooling people. It's trick photography. It uh, requires a little effort to believe the miracle that you're seeing. And I call that magic. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, the idea and the genesis of this story. The original story is very, very old. It was um, when my grown sons were little and acting somewhat demonic. I did a sketch of them as demons. Uh, George was still in diapers, and Harry's a few years older. And um, after that, I actually wrote a story called Wendell Wild, about seven pages. And in that story, it wasn't so much about them. I came up with a basic idea that is the movie. Um, you know, the idea of the two demons who want to escape from the underworld and, and strike it rich in the land of the living, um, only to, to face uh, Sister Helly and her sidekicks, Cat Elliot. And um, I put it away. It was just one of those... Uh, yeah, I was inspired. I wrote something. I put it away. And then many years later, um, after Coraline and after a film that I was doing for Disney and Pixar got shut down, um, basically John Lasseter couldn't help himself. He kept trying to disney it till the budget went through the roof. It got shut down. And I was kind of down. I wasn't sure I was going to make another movie again. But then the Key and Peele show started on Comedy Central. And it was... Um, Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele that kind of inspired me to do another film. I loved what they did so much. And after three years of, uh, three seasons of watching them, I finally realized Wendell Wild would be a perfect project to ask those guys to come in and, um, and do voices for. Turned out Jordan was um, interested more than that because he knew all about stop motion animation, was a huge fan of animation, and so he wanted to come in as a, a producer. This is well before his first feature film, Get Out, and as a, a creative contributor. Ultimately, we co-wrote the screenplay. He uh, contributed enormously to the story and tone. So it was like an old idea put away that like got reignited because I was so inspired by that, that show and those two uh, performers. Would you talk about how you met Jordan and how the two of you worked together? Yeah, initially reached out um, to both both of those uh, performers, and they were interested, but Jordan wanted to meet right away, and then he let me know about how much he loves stop motion, and he knew about my films and so forth, and then I, he wanted to know, well, what, what's the idea? I pitched it, I, I loaned him the pages, and he came back and told me, um, he really liked it. 
and he talked about this new production company he was setting up. He was still, um, he was still doing, there was one more season to go um, of Key and Peele, but he, he talked about uh, Monkey Paw Productions and the sorts of films they wanted to make. Um, and in animation, it was, he'd wanted to be part of a film that he wished he could have seen when he was a kid with someone like himself as a major character. And that was very touching and, and connected. And um, from there, um, we got down to business and he convinced me to change the protagonist of Sister Helly. I had them, you know, they were hell maidens, but I called them demon dusters back then. But shift that to Cat. And, um, and, you know, he made his argument why. I thought it was a good argument. And then uh, he also convinced me that she should be a person of color. And he let me choose. And I said, well, she's got to be African-American. And um, that was liberating. Okay, that's our protagonist. And that sort of rippled out to the casting of um, the whole film. Um, he was, uh, so, you know, he, he was very instrumental in developing the characters their backstories, and, well, sort of this, um, the overall tone of the film, both how scary, how comedic, um, how dramatic, but also he was, like, brilliant at sort of, um, we didn't want to get red flags for things that didn't matter. We didn't want to make the film about race. Um, we didn't want to make the film about the prison industrial complex uh, that or that industry, even though it was important to me, mainly because of my wife's work for ten years, um, being an advocate for um, at-risk youth, uh, that I knew about it, but that wasn't going to be what the film's about. But that was going to be anchor points. Uh, he was so good at sort of like the big picture of what might be right, what might not be, and of course he's funny as hell. And especially when when he reteamed uh, with Keegan Michael to to do the the characters, you know we we had dialogue, but then we left them lots of room to improvise. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Was, was there a lot of improv in those scenes? For the first session, it was like almost all Im improvised because we were trying to find out just who the characters are, and you got to make room for people that talented. So they came up with many approaches, and we sort of settled on one, and they would just riff and riff and riff an idea. They were very uh, competitive in the most positive way of one-upping each other in character. Um, there's a fair amount of improv in the final, final film. There was always something I needed to get done to tell the story, but then we're always wide open. I, I'd say probably... Most of the funniest lines in the film are improvised. You just said that he dialed you back in some areas. Um, what was the, the balancing act for the two of you? Well, we just, um, you know, there's the, what is, what is our film? It's a comedy, horror, fantasy drama for brave children of all ages, right? Just that, that regular, <laughs> that old thing. Um, and so I think it was about finding a, a center. Um, when you have all that swirling around, what's the center? And Kat's story became the center. 
And so it was, um, what has she faced? Uh, what has she lost? We, um, right up front, we got a PG rating. We asked for that in our deal because we wanted to be able to explore things a little further than uh, most American animated films get to. So we, you know, there's a, a ton of animated films where the kid is an orphan or has lost a parent. Uh, there's not too many where the kid feels responsible for their parents' death. Um, that's something new. And that was, you know, that's that's a a tough thing to to um include, but we felt it was important. And so just, you know, how how we um how we did it, it's very much a, a just a matter of degrees and adjustment that, you know, she carries a huge amount of guilt. She also um after the death of her parents, she was put in um you know, a group home school and got into trouble. She was bullied. And with the modern one strike, you're out rule of a lot of schools, she was right put into the juvie justice system at like eight years old. Um, and that's a real thing. We didn't want to spend too much time there. It's more background, but it's sort of, um, you know, it's explained in the flashback scene, you know, when she's facing her, her monster, her memory monster. Um, that was just another thing to find the right balance. Um, and ultimately, um, how do we free her and give her purpose, but let her parents be dead again? That's a, that's a, a tall order uh, because it would have been really false if she had brought them back and they got to stay alive. I mean... They're rotting zombies, and I'll, I don't know how much you, you can you can take of that. Um, but I, I'm just sort of hitting on some of the strongest emotional elements, and um, you know, just finding how to how to balance it that they were true and not overwhelming, uh, and balancing it with humor and uh, and color and design. Um, you know, balancing Cat's character with the nature of others, like Raul, he has a he has a good feeling about her. And she doesn't really treat him very well, but he sort of has this blind faith in her right from the start that then is is proven to be true. Um and so again it's like balancing the drama, balancing who she is as a character. Um you know I got pushed a lot I won't name names, and they're well-intentioned executives, but like, well, can't Kat smile sooner? How's anybody going to like her? She's not smiling. And I, I just said, that's not who she is. She, she needs a really good reason to smile. And of course, the first time she smiles, it's a very small smile and laugh because Raul's tried to entertain her with his uh, drawings of the nuns. And she gets smacked in the head immediately with an eraser for smiling. So, Overall, did you feel that Netflix gave you the creative freedom that you needed to tell this story? Uh, yes. I don't think there was a, any other home uh, for, for the film that would have supported us in the way Netflix did. Um, right up front, they said they, um, they loved the story and us. And it was... Um, of course, right after Jordan's huge hit film that we set it up, Get Out. Uh, but I think they were, uh, well, they meant it. And and um, 
that proved to be true, that they support us throughout. We certainly had, um, you know, contentious areas and they were concerned about this, that, and the other thing, but nothing that hurt the film. It's another area that Jordan was, oh, so good at navigating, dealing with the studio, reassuring them, and finding solutions that worked for both sides. But yeah, this is, uh, this is the film we wanted to make. It's not been watered down at all. On this broader topic, uh, you, you referenced the, the Pixar incident with your movie Shadow King, which was not made. Would you elaborate on what happened in that instance? And, you know, where are the concerns, do you think? Yeah, what happened on the Shadow King was, um, I mean, it's just, you know, how, how one thing leads to another to another. But I was, uh, I was doing the sound mix for Coraline at this uh place I always like to go to, uh, Skywalker Sound. It's, you know, the old old Lucas facility, but the people are really good there, and I know them, and I'd worked with them for years. I have to be there. And John Lasseter happened to be there. I know him. We're not friends, but I know him. I went to CalArts with him, and he really loved the movie. He loved what he was seeing, and then they screened Coraline at, at um, Pixar, and everyone liked it, and they offered me a deal to make a stop-motion film. And it had to be for a much lower budget than the CG films. I mean, let's let's admit it, stop-motion films have never, out of the gate, uh, been as successful as the big CG films. I mean, the best stop-motion films live forever, though, and as we see in Nightmare, make billions in merchandising. But it, so we made a deal that, like, okay, um, I would make a film, and I pitched several ideas. It had to be for, you know, a good budget, but compared to theirs. For this amount of money, um, none of their notes would be mandatory. And of the of the ideas I pitched, uh, The Shadow King, which I had like a 75-page treatment and a, a screenplay, that's what they liked the best. But, you know, John, it's just how all their greatest successes, you know, they have their brain trust, and they rip things apart, they rebuild, rip things apart, rebuild. He really couldn't support my vision. He thought he could make it better. And so we kept changing and changing and changing. We'd hired a whole crew. We were actually into animation. And it was one of those things where just the budget started creeping up, creeping up. And a new guy came in, Alan Horn at Disney, and they just felt, no, it's going to go off the charts for the budget because of the constant changes. And it was shut down. And it was a sad day, but it was also a huge relief because it's like taking your 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 kid to the playground and watching your kid get beat up every day and then having to take your kid home and wipe the tears away and so forth. So it was just one of those, it really wasn't meant to be. Do you think it's a story that will be resurrected at some point? I got the rights back. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll owe Disney a little bit of money if uh, if we set it up, but but maybe. And um, I absolutely feel that it it would be successful and for the right price if you know if if people just truly if they like what I've written and want that movie rather than think they like it and then want to turn it in, into Toy Story Eight. I think a lot of people would like to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about Wendell and Wilde some more. Um, in particular, I want to talk about the animation. You did the uh, stop motion in Portland. Was it at a, at a studio or? Um, Portland is the center in North America for stop motion animation. It, um, it has become. Yes. Yeah, it's it goes it goes back. Um, to Will Vinton's studio originally, you know, all the claymation, which became Leica, and Coraline was the first uh, feature done there, and they've done several. And um, it's kind of like that's where the talent is. The uh, winters are long and rainy, perfect stop-motion weather. And, uh, yeah, we went back there. We set up a new studio. I've done it five times at least in, in, in my life. It's, uh, it's always uh, a challenge. Then, of course, there was the pandemic, so that had a huge effect. We sh- had to shut down for a good while. But um, Portland's just a great place to do stop-motion movies. You know, why do I keep doing stop-motion? And it sort of comes in and out of fashion, in and out of fashion, again and again. Um, for me, it doesn't. But <laughs> as far as how hard it is to get support for these films, it can be, it can be trying. Um, I hope that people watch this and enjoy how obvious we've made it look like stop motion, that we didn't clean everything up. We left the seams in the faces, um, that replacement parts allowed the faces to emote and speak. We left a lot of little mistakes in. Um, I'm hoping that after decades of hyper slick, perfectly done CG animation in both feature films and visual effects that this old stuff will be refreshing and new. And, you know, I think the audience will always have to work a little more to make it real, but then it hopefully will mean more to them. Watching it, you really do feel the the hand of the artist and the craftsmanship that goes into these movies. Would you talk about the character design, which was fantastic? <laughs> I agree. I can, I can, uh, since I didn't do it, I, I can <laughs> love it as much as you. Um, from the get go, I always felt that Wendell and Wilde should be caricatures of Key and Peel that resemble them. And they were not convinced, the, uh, the two actors, because, you know, caricatures could be silly and you know, big heads and tiny bodies and that sort of a thing. And I, and I said, no, no, wait, wait till you see, I have an idea. Um, and I had reached out uh, to this, I think the world's greatest artistic caricaturist, Pablo Lobato. Um, I'd known his work for years. It's almost Picasso-esque. It's um, beautiful design, very two-dimensional, but also like it captures people like nobody's business. Anyway, he um, happened to be coming to Los Angeles when I was going to be down there. We met for the first time. I, I talked about the project. He, he didn't know who Key and Peele were. I supplied him, um, you know, with imagery and and then a link so he could watch some of the show. 
And it was it was great because I offered to pay him out of my own pocket. This was before it was set up, a little money, like, you know, and he said, no, 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 no. I really want to be a part of this and and let me help make it happen. And uh, after he'd done a few rounds of, of um, exploratory work, I, I showed some great ideas to um, both Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele, and they loved it. And um, from there, we, we, um, we had to kind of figure out, well, how do we adapt his style to a dimensional world? Because it's very flat and graphic. And, and the first thing we did was, um, in, in the film, which was actually a test, was, was um, the demons, um, when we first meet them, planting hair plugs. And so we decided, we'll make the faces very bas-relief in the underworld, very much like Picasso heads, but everything else more dimensional. And it, um, it was refreshing. It looked really cool. Uh, but I also learned that that could get annoying for the whole movie, for every character. So we worked with Pablo and just to see, well, what could he do dimensionally? It turned out he could adapt his style and uh, to work dimensionally, to not just work in a graphic way. And so ultimately he designed all the characters in the film. Um, sometimes I would give him reference, uh, you know, an idea, well, here's... Um, Here's this Native American politician. I like her look. And uh, maybe she could be an inspiration for Ms. Hunter. Um, for characters like Raul and his mother, uh, I wanted him to have some uh, sort of um, Aztec or Mayan features. And so um, we went to, like, you know, sculptures, things, things from those cultures as inspiration. Cat was very difficult. You know, your protagonists, when they're humans, um, they're always the hardest, the straight characters. And uh, Pablo came up with a treasure trove of um, African masks and things. He sort of collects images and so forth and, and pointed the way for her look so that she wasn't like any sort of cliche that, you know... Um, but he, he found a way to create her and found the inspiration for her. So it was a collaborative process, many cases, mainly coming from Pablo or coming from, you know, inspirations, things I'd find, or a blend of this and this. Um, the, uh, the character of, of Lane Claxon, in the earliest days of this, I'm, I, I met Jordan in, in 2015, we started working for it, there was a going to be some inspiration of Donald Trump. When Donald Trump ran and became president, we thought, oh, that's a bad idea. He'll come after us. Um, and then I thought, well, how about Boris Johnson? And then Boris Johnson ran and became prime minister of England. We felt like this is a, a dangerous thing. Whoever we plan to caricature becomes. So we, we kept a little bit of the Boris Johnson, but then made him a very unique Character and then he's voiced by David Harewood, who's a phenomenal British actor, um, who you know helps shape his design as well. So another one that I'd love to talk about was the design for uh, Bing Rhymes' character, which, if I read this correctly, um, was influenced by pro wrestlers and Barry White. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Buffalo Belzer's um, 
<laughs> you know, he he had he had his own journey from the original. The original short story. He was originally very different. I mean, a giant, uh, but he was he was originally Bub Belzer, redneck of darkness. Uh, that didn't survive into the the modern thing. So he 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 evolved and. Um, I think uh, I just I think it was my idea that I, I thought of like Barry White just just relaxing in a giant hot tub wearing sunglasses uh, being sort of sultry and uh, soothing um, but that that evolved as well uh, I mean what's probably most left over from that are his glasses those are Barry White glasses. And Ving has a phenomenal voice, and it's rich and deep. But also the pro wrestler element kind of came in. Um, for him to be a little more bombastic, uh, but very vain. Uh, he's a very vain man. He, de he definitely cares. He seems to care more about his hair than his own children. But maybe he doesn't, as uh, you'll find out if you see the film. And another character that would be fun to talk about is Siobhan, one of the students at uh, Cat School, who, as I understand, she had some influence from the character Cher in 1995's Clueless. Yeah. Um, early on, there's those three girls, uh, Siobhan, Slona, and Sweetie. Um, I wanted them all to be foreign-born because if anyone actually visited this school... Uh, Rust Bank Catholic girls, they'd see it was all run down and, and, and they wouldn't send their kids. So they were, um, these girls and, and all the students, um, all they know about is the reputation and the brochures and they, anyway, they come to the school. Um, originally the girls were going to be a little, a little more like traditional mean girls. And um, one of the uh, principals uh, this this uh, very talented producer artist Ian at at Monkey Paw said, "Well, maybe they don't have to be just regular Mean Girls." And I thought of Clueless, and actually how appealing she and her friends are. Um, and that became sort of a guidepost that these girls don't have to be jerks; they just have to be kind of ignorant and naive. They're 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 intelligent. And they, they're trying to do the right thing. All they need is a little education, and uh, Kat kind of leads the way. They also have, like Raul, they have a good feeling about Kat, something that she herself doesn't have at the time. But they have a sense that she's um, the best thing that's happened to the school in a, in a good while. Anyway, um, getting away from the more typical mean girls uh, to this other approach was very liberating. I ended up, I really love those girls, all of them. What's your favorite scene in the film and why? Uh, I can't pick one favorite scene. I have to mention a, a few. I'd say, um, I, I think the ending, I think that Kat has, because of her ability to show what the future is going to be. And, and she's learned she can change the future, but she's able to share 
the good future of herself, her new friends in the town with her parents right before they die, that they they get a sense that them coming back to life had a great impact on their daughter. And then Wendell Wilde, who you think, you know, how talented could they be? They present their their design for the dream fair, which will be the screen fair. And it's amazing and it's beautiful. It's like, what? Those jerks? They made this? Um, that combination of of a projected good future, losing the parents, and then this preposterous idea of the best afterlife <laughs> upstairs or down. Um, that's a scene I really love. It was very hard to get the balance on that. And then there's a couple of runner-ups. I, I like uh, Cat in the Redemption Chamber um, facing her demons, facing the shadow monster. It was stylistically, it was uh, quite challenging. It was, um, you know, how many iterations of storyboard. It took many, many, a lot of time to figure it out and get that get that right. Um, I have to mention a couple more. Um, I think I... I love Cat meeting, um, being dropped off at the school and meeting those three girls um, and Raul very much. Just this clash of cultures. Um, I love when, and when the nuns come and take her away to meet Father Vest. And, you know, I'd say the, the very first time we go to the Scream Fair and go on tour and see the... Uh, the souls of the danged and what they're faced with, which is never-ending rides. You know, the worst roller coaster, the worst Ferris wheel, the worst teacups in existence. So that's too many scenes, but I love them all. There was so much to see after I uh, I finished watching the screener the first time. I just immediately went back and started again, to be honest. Oh, good. Good. Yeah, I'd say the first time is, is overwhelming for... A lot of folks, and the second time you'll get it a lot more. I think you'll follow it a lot more easily. Well, I'm going to mention a couple of uh, fun facts for for the uh, the curious viewers. Cat's childhood address is two three seven, and as I understand it, that's an homage to room two three seven in The Shining. Um, you might be right. I'm not sure. I want to give away the Easter eggs now, but <laughs> you might be you might be in the uh, right neighborhood there. Is The Shining a favorite of yours? Oh, it's a f- favorite of myself and many people who worked many on it. Many of film. us. <laughs> yeah. It holds up. I mean, that's the thing. It like you can still watch it again and again and um it works remarkably well. And speaking of holding up, uh did I see Jack Skellington in this movie? Well, technically that might be illegal, but um you might have imagined you saw him maybe more than once. One other topic I did want to touch on is, um, I, I know this is not a new topic for, for you and for many in the animation world, but outside of the animation world, it seems that that message that animation is film, it's not it's not for one thing. It can be used to tell all sorts of stories, is a theme that I'm hearing more frequently. Would you like to talk about that topic? Yeah, um, it's always about, what's successful, and let's do more of the same. So that, um, you know, going going back to Disney films, he, um, 
Walt Disney actually actually took some chances, uh, you know, in Fantasia. Um, There's kind of experimental segments in the film, and it wasn't overall a very successful film, I guess. Um, so he did less experimentation after that with, with occasional bits, like Pink Elephants on Parade in Dumbo is as psychedelic as you can get. And um, But there's a formula, and there's brilliance, uh, brilliant films have been made within that formula, but it's still very limited. I think everything that everything that DreamWorks Pixar, Disney Animation, Illumination make, um, and there's there's big range of topics and stories and all, but in my mind, it's all really one thing. It's all pretty safe um, and doesn't take any strong, strong chances. I think Zoo, Zootopia was actually one of the most breakthrough, subversive films to ever come out of Disney because it dealt with real issues of racism, um, Real society, and, and it was, it was done in a beautiful, subtle way, um, but that's like the exception. The, the fact is, you know, you look around the world um, at other types of shows in anime or Miyazaki or even even Adult Swim or FX. You know, this little demon. I mean, people are taking chances. They're 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 going hardcore. Um, with uh, politics, violence, sex, uh, they're, they're, it's, it's, they are uh, telling any kind of story. uh, And if it's told well, it could be successful. But for, for feature films, uh, American animated feature films, it's still, you know, people say, yeah, that's for the kids. And they watch it 20 or 30 times, and yeah, they try to make it good enough that the adults don't get angry about it. But I'm sick and tired of it. So, you know, with a film like Wendell Wild, I'd like to think it got rated PG-13, even though it's not very intense. There's, uh, is uh, drinking hair cream substance abuse? Um, there's real, very little foul language. Uh, there's no sex. But I got the PG-13, and honestly, I'm hoping kids as young as, well, the brave kids as young as six, seven, eight, nine will watch it. But I also hope that older people can too and think of it as a film not just for kids. I, um, Yeah, I, I just hope other people take bigger chances. The people that can afford to take the larger chances um, – do I'm, I'm I'm very heartened by the fact Chris Melodondri, who is a very talented man. He um you know set up a new studio. He's had a lot of success. Um, Despicable Me, I thought was really really clever, really good. But he's just set up an adult animation division with Mike Moon. That's a huge breakthrough. Mike Moon's super talented. He was running that at Netflix. His stuff was some of the best on Netflix. So um, that's the first sign that that all could change. If Chris Melodondri's comfortable enough in his success to take this sort of chance, um, that makes you feel good. And animation can just be film, and it can tell any kind of story. Henry, it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on the film. Thanks so much. It was wonderful to see you again, Carolyn. 